Peter, your other co-host. Guys, we did it again. <laughs> we did a bad. We're sorry, but um, it actually connects into something we want to warn you about this episode. Uh, it might not be quite as, uh, you know, prepared or cheery as you would, at least as some of our better episodes are. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. We had a death in the family, and we've been dealing with that for the last couple of days. Um, so, yeah, just want to get that out up front if we are not as successful uh, this episode as we would normally like to be. Well, we're never successful, but maybe not as successful <laughs> at being cheery. Yes, the mood might not quite be there, but we'll do our best for you guys. All right, uh, this is our episode on the second Foundation and Foundation's Edge by Isaac Asimov, the third and fourth book in the Foundation series, respectively. Um, Peter, I gotta say, I didn't realize when we did the first two books that there was a trilogy followed by, like, more sequels. Really, probably we should have done the trilogy together, huh? Um, I mean, you could say that. You you could. <laughs> I did. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> All the books, I don't really see them as, like, trilogies or as sequels or whatever. I see them as installments. And okay. we right. talked a lot in our episode with Seth about... Um, the you know the episodic nature and the fact that these came out as like periodicals, and it's kind of hard to find a defining line between them, and it also right. affects your enjoyability of them for a lot of uh, readers. So, you know, I don't really think it's. I th- listen, it is a thing that's accepted generally that that's a trilogy and that everything else is six sequels, which is a weird idea to me because I feel like in a trilogy there, two of them are sequels, so I don't really. <laughs> get the subdivide but regardless you know i don't i don't think it was a huge deal also that was a pretty full episode yeah that's true Plus, been i guess you could argue you could argue that um we're sort of now into like the second foundation chapter because yes. it was really only hinted at in the first two books and frankly the presence of the second foundation i think made things a lot more interesting for me in these two books um than the original two because uh if you guys might recall i wasn't like as into the foundation books as peter um but the the second foundation i think adds a dimension where like you're sort of invested on multiple sides now and you're not just sort of sitting pretty knowing like well everything's gonna work out according to the solid plan first foundation's always gonna win everything there's never any stakes etc etc so that's sort of i think probably the main thing that separates these two from the previous two yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this is really, like, the, yeah, the second foundation played a part in the first two, but they are, I would say, the main player in these books. Yeah, I would say so. They're definitely I mean, the driving... they're barely, you don't see a whole lot of them in the first book, or rather, the, <laughs> the third. third book. In How about the second in second foundation, yeah. <laughs> um, because... They're, like, sort of working behind the scenes, but they're obviously you get a lot more of them in Foundation and Empire. Wait, Foundation's Edge, sorry. Um, which, to me, is, like, probably why it's one of my favorite books. Well, it's decidedly my favorite Foundation book. Um, and the, I think, increased presence of the Second Foundation is one of the factors, though just one, I would say. Mm-hmm. There are others. Sure. All right. So... The uh, second foundation starts off with the, um, quote, the mule's search for the elusive second foundation, close quote. Mm-hmm. 
So the the mule to kind of pick us up where we left off. The mule has, you know, bulldozed his way through the foundation. The first foundation has right. taken terminus. You know that that shiny is like sacking Rome at the time. Yeah, it is. You're not wrong. Um, and you know the galaxy is looking like oh well shit the mule wins then. <laughs> and you know, a a part of it is the mule seems you know like he's not a good dude but he he wants to create the second empire because first um first of all he knows he is sterile so i guess he wants to leave a legacy behind of some sort that's natural but second of all he sees you know a lot of suffering in the galaxy and, and the first foundation can only do so much to spurn on the the path or spurn its speed for or whatever speed up the the progress of the formation of the second empire right so you know i can see a natural tendency to go okay well the worlds are hurt the worlds are being burned and i want to do something to help that out right maybe it's not done the best way but here we are He's not so bad. I mean, like, the, obviously mind control is an ethical no-no. Like, that's not exactly <laughs> great. And the empire built by the removal of autonomy of its members is not a uh, empire with moral high ground. But he's not, he's not really cruel or malevolent, at least not in these books. I don't remember him ever being so in um, uh, the second book. No, I agree with that. He also is no worse than the Foundation, who we had talked about at length of trying to forge the second empire at the the from the bridge of a ship that's true yeah I mean, you're totally right they both have their evils right i mean either way it's conquest right so what gives the second foundation the moral superiority here where it's like you know it's okay if you want to conquer every other planet in the galaxy however if the mule wants to do it we don't like it because he's like ugly and the second <laughs> foundation is planning on letting the first foundation do it then become a ruling class through essentially mind control. I realize that it's supposedly just a really advanced form of psychology. Where they can, I mean, it's also kind of mind control. It's, it's kind of mind control, yeah. But, like, I think that's their... Their whole argument is their abilities are a natural progression of the psychological sciences. Right. And they, they do... You see in the second... Or in a Foundation's Edge that they do keep themselves to, like, a strict code about the use of that and, like, not suborning people for you know no purpose and i do think that um it's sort of like people bend the rules in espionage like they'll they'll use the powers on people when it like serves an ultimate purpose if it's in service to the plan but if it's not then it's considered like a really abhorrent thing to do yeah i mean it's it comes down to like for the greater good yeah which is its own sort of moral question but yeah, yeah, it is not, it's not the, uh, like, okay, great, good, yeah, cool, argument over. I mean, it's definitely a discussion. Right, right. Happen, but that's the, that is their whole argument. And, you know, in a sense, I feel like, we're not going to get into this right now, because we don't have time, but, like, in a sense, I feel like when the, when you're talking about a galactic scale, all of a sudden, for the greater good becomes a much better argument. Yeah. Well, not just a galactic scale, but all humanity and seemingly by the end of um foundation's edge all life certainly all life in the galaxy maybe all life in the universe because you're 
you're basically like, well, we're at this point. We're obviously allowed civilization taking over this whole freaking galaxy and nothing, nothing, nothing is coming knocking. Nor have we come and knocking to anything else. So, like, I, I, I mean, it. yeah, I, I mean, I guess from a, from like a scientific perspective, galaxies are so, 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 so far away from each other. You might as well be in a different universe, I think. Would you say that's fair? I absolutely say that's fair. I mean, we're talking, you know, millions of light years more than. Right. So unless you have some, from where we're sitting right now today in 2019, magic technology that is going to transport you between galaxies, then really, you're not, uh, you're not going to be in contact with anyone in other, any other galaxies. So if you're the only life in the Milky Way, you're kind of the only life. For you, as far as you, as far as matters for you, you're it. Right. In fact, I'm trying having trouble thinking of a, of a book or a movie or anything, that, has traveled between galaxies. Can you think of one? Off the top uh, of your head? yeah, Stargate. I think DSG one. Well, they have stargates, Peter. <laughs> yeah, your point. Well, that's how they do it. They have magic. No, it's just good technology. I guess it's real good technology. Um, I don't know. I bet if you press me long enough, I could come up with something. Yeah, probably. I have a feeling I'm blatantly ignoring something very obvious right now, but, eh, say love <laughs> But even, like, um, even, like, the Mass Effect series, which, like, has a gigantic race of super intelligent robots that go into the interstellar space, have been doing it for, like, millions of, like, I, I, 50,000-year cycles, so a long time. Right. Like, and they have like teleportation basically in the form of mass relays. Well, okay, not really, but okay. But not unconditional teleportation. You're right. Uh, Okay. Well, I guess what do the mass relays really do? This is like so off topic, but it's fine. It's sci-fi. They lower your mass (laughs) super far, and then they accelerate you with magnets. Is my is my belief. But then you would still be limited by light speed. Um, not if you have negative mass. Oh, okay. Well, that's really lowering your mass. <laughs> I mean, that's how, like, the FTL ships and the rest of Mass Effect work. Oh, really? Z- Element Zero creates a negative mass when you put an electric charge through it. Well, damn. I guess that's why it's called Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, anyway, sh- Asimov's <laughs> Foundation series. You know, Asimov's famous Mass Effect series? Asimov, I feel, would have loved Mass Effect. That's actually fair. Yeah. Damn, I won't play Mass Effect now. All right. I know. This happens every time. This also happens every time I read one of the um, uh, Becky Chambers books because, well, listen to because the music sounds like Mass Effect and I just instantly want to play. (laughs) That's true. Okay, back to the book. Um, That's so true, though. Guys, listen listen to us. If you ever listen to One Piece of Voice we give you, just go fucking play Mass Effect. (laughs) It's a great game. It's available on, uh, you know, like regular consoles or or origin games. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Alright. They gotta know. Okay, so yeah, so we were talking about the morality, though, of it. Yes. But no, I think you're right that... There isn't any. If you're sort of like all of life, as far as you're concerned, it's kind of not that bad to, like, tweak a couple minds, you know? I don't know. Me, me, I'm sort of utilitarian that way. It's like, it's... And they're not... I don't consider what they're doing to be that terrible. Like, yes, you're manipulating people. Yes, you're overtaking their free will. But usually it's temporary. And it's always in service of the greater good. 
The problem is the second foundation's in this position of like where where does their judgment fail? You know, they they get all this moral room to do kind of whatever they want because like, oh, you guys are the smartest people in the galaxy. You're the ones pulling all the ropes and making sure we get to the second empire, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but like if their judgment failed and they started serving their own ends, then the universe would be powerless to stop them, and then all of a sudden they're these terrifying despots just like the mule. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess there's just this presumption of perfect judgment. And I mean, and Which is required for them. Yeah, which is a, a fallacy in and of itself. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess they're just really relying on their, their, their code. Although I already kind of seen an issue with that where the first speaker is generally speaking the most powerful second foundationer right and it's the one that can see the seldon's plan the best which you know makes that part makes sense but the fact that it's just the most powerful second foundationer and those happen to go hand in hand a lot doesn't really bring me a whole lot of comfort on to be honest because like any society that's built on all right who is just the best right i mean that that's they literally rank their top 10 people (laughs) <laughs> that's true yeah i hadn't thought about and that. they already have classes of citizens yeah yeah you're right like observers they have observers out there in the world and they're second foundationers but they're like oh but i could never ever talk to one of the the speakers no of course not that's ridiculous that's true yeah you're totally right and i mean they talk all the time like flagrantly about how they're going to be the ruling class of the new empire and it's going to be like handed to them by the the first foundation and it just it it honestly feels very sinister i don't know if that's the intention but it does and i mean where i'm sitting now i would want the second foundation in charge more than i want the first foundation but yeah there are definitely some currents i'm not okay with because you're right there's definitely a stratification that they're like very comfortable with that would probably lead to honestly like a red rising situation where they're like well we're the superior ones because i think of that all the time when i think of like sort of dystopian stratified societies where um the you know the ruling class can like puts themselves there because they're like well we're stronger we're better we're just going to be the shepherds of all the other classes and then it quickly turns into like an exploitative situation that's not really good for anyone except the ruling class because there's no one to check them yeah it's hard to imagine it going any other way because i apparently don't have a lot of faith in humanity well that's that's fine that's honest (laughs) that's a way to feel it's a way you should feel um yeah i mean i don't know it's kind of hard to you would hope that their moral code would be enough because they do have a strict moral code but they are either surrounded by like the, the the hamish and they like look down on them all the time as like a poor simple people yeah peter i think that's a really good point um so one thing i wanted to talk about was i think that this book is kind of a weird letdown for the mules arc because he's kind of touted as like this all-powerful um kind of completely like unprecedented unstoppable being and then he's just kind of like is like his He's kind of, I guess, stifled. Is what you're thinking for the word nerfed? No, yeah, that's actually a perfect word. <laughs> um, yeah, he's kind of nerfed because of the whole 
um, Ebling Meese thing at the end of the second book. And then in this one, he's just kind of like hanging out with his with his little pseudo empire, but not doing anything for five years or whatever. Just like keeping his tabs on things. And then eventually he kind of makes a reach for the second foundation. The second foundation pretty much plays him right into their trap and then that's it for him then he like has to go off and live contented and never do anything else interesting again and then die at a young age of natural causes because apparently you can't both be really smart and really strong so i don't know it just kind of seemed like anticlimactic to me um okay i mean so fair enough um although i think that it was done in kind of multiple for multiple reasons first of all um the the series isn't really like it would have been weird if he was like murdered with retribution like with with god's retribution in hand like the series is a lot more low-key than that yeah it's not very violent i can't think of a single time there actually was violence or like yeah Yeah, there was threats of violence there's war but there's not like our characters don't act violently towards one another and generally speaking they're pretty chill yeah well they're Um, supposed to be sort of elevated higher thinkers type of a thing like i think there's sort of an implication that yeah they can use war as a as a strategic tool but they're not slaves to the you know aggressive instincts of lesser men i mean that's actually a whole point with um the first mayor whose name escapes me at the point at the at the moment but yeah they make a whole point about that was it salvador hardin yeah sal salvor hardin yes salvor hardin he uh yeah he he made a whole stink about how what do you say violence is the last refuge of stupid men or something like that i think it's exactly that yeah it's fucking <laughs> awesome yeah <clears throat> so i think that there's definitely a deliberacy in that choice yeah i can see that so i think that's part of the reason why they chose not to have the second foundation especially the second foundation so right the first foundation is like we are above violence for violence's sake or or petty vengeance right but the second foundation view them as just as elevated over the first foundation as the first foundation views them over the rest of the world, the galaxy. That's kind of true, yeah. So that's we are again talking about the second foundation's arrogance. Yeah, because to them the first foundation is just another puppet. Exactly, and, and they're just in the back there pulling their strings. And sure, this first foundation is at least a another you know arrow cast into the future by the the, the Harry Seldon, but um, but they're not equal to the second foundation. The second foundation is harry selden's true legacy i also think that this was done to really force home the point of the power of the second foundation like mm-hmm. how their power while it's not unlimited because the mule did rise like if he if it was unlimited he wouldn't have been able to rise in the first place right but their power in when applied properly and in you know when they do act in their own at their own pace and in their own time is quite irresistible because the mutant whose biological prowess is predisposition towards these powers that the second foundation has to almost indoctrinate into themselves they have to like be molded to do this right was born with it and if anyone's a natural at it it was the mule sure they were still able to stop him yeah well they also had i guess well they they had time to plan and they had this sort of information advantage on him plus the mule couldn't really trust anyone to like act brilliantly and well on his behalf because at least his whole theory that once you quote unquote convert somebody that they no longer have like 
I guess like that creative spark, like they're competent, but they're not, I don't know, they, innovative, I guess. They, they have, they've lost like the spark of invention. Yeah, exactly. So they have, the second foundation has all these people who have the skills of the mule and have the freedom to use them and they just basically outnumbered him. They were able to get all the information on him. And I mean, really, obviously, like the mental duel that happened towards the end was key, but just as key was all the bowls that they had planted where they could be like, yeah, well, your ships aren't going to do anything about it anyway. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. it just sort of cut the legs out from under him. And that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, Second Foundation isn't all powerful, but they are very good at planning and acting when it's right. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that this book, when you put it like that, is kind of just about the plan getting back on track. It is the story of getting the plan back on track. So initially they had to deal with the mule, get him off the table. And then this whole second book, or second section, I guess, <clears throat> is about undermining the first foundation and like letting them think that they had won and that they were in charge and that there was no reason to be suspicious anymore. So that the second foundation could go back to manipulating the plan in peace without the sort of knowledge of the observed. You know what I mean? Well, right, because that's one of Harry Sutherland's tenets of psychohistory. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you know, makes me think of particle physics, <laughs> to be honest. Once it's observed, it changes? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that idea, right? No, you're absolutely right. It makes perfect sense to me. So let's talk about the second part of the second foundation then. Okay. So I think it's interesting because here we see kind of the first foundation's first foray into the mental powers and mental sciences. Yeah, it's cool seeing them sort of start to move the gears so that they can at least have some tools against the second foundation. Right. So like here you see the groundwork laid for, um, oh, what was her name? Arcady. The no no the mayor in the in the foundation's edge. <coughs> Brano Harla Brano. Brano yes. So now you see the groundwork laid for Brano's mental shield that was used during the great showdown. Yeah. In that book. <clears throat> By the way, guys, we're not going to talk. We're going to talk about the foundation's edge, sure, but we're not going to talk as much about it because we already have had like kind of a, a full fleshed out discussion on this on Seth's podcast. Yeah. Just a heads up. Definitely, and I think that I, we will definitely be discussing it in the context of you having read it, but. Um, Maybe share like a couple thoughts, but that's it's not the main point of this episode. Yes, exactly. I just want to throw that out there because I, mean, I don't think we talked about that yet. Yes. Um, but anyway, so you see like the 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 stumbling around as the first foundationers try to figure out these these mental sciences because they've really ignored that part. They've only focused on the physical power of you know nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and blasters and great ships and winning wars and all that. Right. But one part that I really thought was cool was that the first move they made towards this was just looking at electrical patterns in the brain. Mm -hmm. And that was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, if you're someone right. whose entire shit is physical things and how they operate and you know, mechanisms and machines and all that stuff working, of course, the first thing you do is look at how, like, the electrical patterns work out. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. They would want to convert it into some sort of a physical, measurable thing because that's how they understand the world. Mm hmm. Yeah. Whereas and it's cool to see. The second foundation is all about, I guess, math and theory, and that's how they approach the world. 
Yeah, math, theory, and the, the, the motivations of people. Right. It's, you know, that's, that's, their, that's their science. Man, so high school me would have freaking loved the idea of combining psychology and math. <laughs> that would have been so up my alley. <laughs> oh my god. I'm still kind of into it, but I don't think I can appreciate it quite as much as 15-year-old me would have. Mm, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I see that. It's uh, There's a certain romanticism about the idea that you actually could do this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's probably why I'm not as into psych anymore is because I've gotten to the point where I know I know enough to know that I don't know anything about it and have, have sort of a hard time, like, fully grasping it, at least the, the more quote-unquote technical side of it, I guess. And I like to deal in certainties. And I guess that's what is attractive about it because I think of psychology as a very uncertain sort of not to be like derogatory but sort of wishy-washy like it's more intuitive and it's a soft science it's it's one of those squishy sciences um but no like and i really don't mean to belittle it at all but it's just i like things that are concrete and that's where the math comes in because basically the whole appeal of psychohistory to me is the idea of taking something sort of like floaty like psychology and like pinning it down with math so that you could actually apply it in a certain way and have like proofs written out and that sort of a thing yeah if i could write a proof on the motivation of men like that would be really cool yeah i definitely get why i asked him i was like uh, yeah this should exist <laughs> i don't know yeah. if it's even possible for it to exist i would guess no yeah although he makes I... a compelling argument i mean the whole point of it is that you're not I'm not saying I know what you're going to do, Peter. You know, I'm saying I know what America is going to do because I know what the world is going to do because I have, like, studied math and, like, made models of history and can use that to extrapolate out what humans are going to do from now on, basically. You're right. Although I think the issue there becomes, especially, like, now, you definitely couldn't do it now (laughs) Um, because humans have just changed so much. Yeah, I acknowledge that there's still war and all that, but I think the, our motivations behind a lot of it have changed in some ways. Not all of them. A lot of them are still the same. <laughs> you know, that guy over there has nice pastures for his sheep. I'm going to declare war on him. Right. That's something we obviously still see. Right. But I think that some of it, the motivations have changed, and some the way the fundamental ways people act have changed just because of humanity's leapfrogging through the last millennia. Uh, for the last, like, two centuries, really. That's true. I mean, the amount Within, of progress in the last 50 freaking years has been just unprecedented. It was, like, 55 years from the Wright Brothers' first flight to man walking on moon. Man, that momentum is just... It's... Having lived in that momentum my whole life, it's still hard to, like, to grasp that. I mean, how think about how far computing's come. Yeah. No, I know. Like, com- computing alone is insane. Just like, the other now we're night. talking about we're talking about video game consoles with teraflops of power. Like, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and I mean, just just the other day, like we we are lucky because we sort of straddle the edge of like we remember what things were like before our lives were completely tied to technology, but we also are like young enough to be tied to that technology so i feel like our generation (laughs) is like 
I don't know. We're going to have a perspective that future generations don't because people who are five, ten years younger than us don't really remember a time before tablets and smartphones and, and, you know, Bluetooth and all of the things that have been, you know, modern conveniences. And that's just that's just over a course of a couple of years. Like that generation will have a different perspective on knowledge and information and technology than we do. And that's not even that big of a gap. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I can only imagine where it's going to come from now. I actually had this realization. I was talking, um, I was thinking about, you know, people that aren't good with computers, like, you know, older folks that just aren't good with computers. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking about how, like, easy, how much easier it can make some of their lives. But they're just really unwilling to learn. Yeah. Or and unable. I'm imagining, or enable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was an unfair word. <laughs> um, well, it's both. But, I'm looking towards the future, like, Jesus. Like, what are the things that I'm not going to be able to learn? Oh, my God, I think about that all the time. Like, I, it's, it's, it's kind of scary, to be honest. Yeah. I'm being, I'm being totally frank with you. I mean, I'm I'm going to be straight up. I barely know how Twitter works, so <laughs> that's... What, what do you, what do you, wait, what, okay, wait, hold up. We have to talk about this. What? <laughs> I mean, I get how it works, like, technologically, but, like, I don't, I don't feel like I totally understand how to use it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Is this is does this come stem out of your uh, your attempts to tweet our um, our unfortunate lateness? That's part of it. It's just every time I try to use Twitter, I'm like, am I doing this right? Somebody tell me if I'm not doing this right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair, I guess. Yeah, sure. Why not? Fuck it. And it's funny because I feel like I had the window where I could have learned how to use Twitter with the rest of the world. But I just didn't get a Twitter at that time, and so now I'm behind everyone else, and there's all these etiquettes and things that you do, and I'm like, wait, what's the difference between replying to a tweet and retweeting it? And how does it even show up on your feed? Like, I don't know, Peter. I'm very confused by the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, it's not totally ridiculous. So it's starting for me, is what I'm saying. It's already begun. And I'm not even 27 yet, so we'll just have to see where it goes from here. It's all, all right, downhill, sure, folks. That is true. <laughs> that's all. Well, that's always true. That's always been true. Yeah, for sure. I um. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right that 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 probably plays into it. But I I think that what Asimov is trying to get at is the idea that beneath all of that, human instincts and human motivations don't really change that much and so i guess i mean i don't think he ever states it but like if i had to think about it i would say that human motivations are obviously like safety and love for one's kin whether that be friends or family and that just happens to take different forms depending on the situation that you're in so whereas like your example that person has like great pastures for his sheep i'm gonna go kill him and take them that comes from an idea of security and wanting to like be okay but then i guess eventually we get to a point where we're like that love for your kin can be expanded because the world is so interconnected and so now we live in a more compassionate world i would say and i would hope i would hope yeah and so as a result, like, our motivations for war and things have changed. We can set, we can look on, you know, Facebook and see that people are suffering in Syria and be like, I want to do something about that. And so yeah, you're right. in a way, you're still 
you're now looking at those people as kin and so they come into your central motivations now so like those base instincts are still there they just take a different form and i think that's the idea of what psychohistory is trying to harness and model okay yeah i mean i support that <laughs> thank you <clears throat> i appreciate that thank you for coming to my ted talk <laughs> um but yeah so okay so the second i guess section uh i enjoyed it more because arcady durrell is great and i actually did this backwards as you know peter um i read foundation's edge before i read the second foundation so i had already heard of arcady durrell (laughs) um and And how she was talked about which was pretty cool what do you say like how she was talked to, like how she was thought of. Yeah, it is cool. It's cool to see that she's kind of gotten everything that she wanted. Um, but yeah, so like it was cool to see her as a child and get her characterization because obviously Asimov's not really had a lot of like particularly interesting female characters in the series to date. Um, it gets better over time. Like basically right now it's only been Beta and Beta was great. I'm all about her. But like... It's good to have another interesting girl in the mix. And she's she's great. I genuinely really like her. She's funny and has that perfect combination of, like, naive but also tough and mm-hmm. can outlast things. And, I don't know, it's just fun to see her progression as a character. I agree. All right, cool. Um, no, it, it, was, <laughs> it was nice to see. And he does get better with it. And he, he attains the status of vintage woke that we've talked about. Hashtag vintage uh, So many times in some of our older content. That's honestly a, a heartening amount of times. <laughs> well, we've read a lot of vintage sci-fi. It usually tries to be woke. Yes, it does. And it's just nice to see. Um, yeah. But it was, I, I was thinking the other day about how funny it was when Seth mentioned that there was like a joke about, you know, oh, I can't believe there's a woman on the bridge of a starship in like, the original <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. That wasn't great, was it? <laughs> Oof. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sci-fi tries when it can. But, but they did the have the day, a woman on the bridge of a starship, which yes. was progressive. So it's sort of, uh, it's well, it's vintage woke. I can't think it's of vintage woke. Put it. <laughs> the, no, vintage woke is the perfect term. And I'm so glad we've trademarked that. We're already making millions from it. <laughs> yeah, it's really paid off big, big dividends. Big, big dividends. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to see if that URL is available. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That would actually be really funny. Like, a, like you maintain like a blog of old sci-fi that like it has like modern ideals, yeah. <laughs> or like close to modern. Yeah, I, I'd be into that. All right. Yeah. Cool. TM. If only I wasn't starting a full-time job. Yeah. Also, TM for sure. TM. <laughs> I'm writing my letter right now to mail to you, CC. All right. Got you. Make sure you. Uh, cool. 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 Get that date stamped. Anyway. Oh, obviously. So, <laughs> so. No, I was gonna hand deliver it. <laughs> no, Peter, it won't work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. <clears throat> anyway, so, yes. It was cool to see that progression. I also liked to, seeing her, like, grinding kind of against her dad, who was like, no, go away. Like, you're not you're not needed for this. And, you know, it was that really early on, or she was very nervous about him, like, not wanting her to help, basically. Yeah. But eventually it progressed into, like, hey, yeah, come, come on in. You're good. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it was kind of in a weird way. I, I think this might be controversial, but uplifting to see him be like, okay, well, it's too late now. She's got to finish the mission <laughs> when she's stowed away. Yeah. Like, but it, there was a certain degree of trust where he was like, hey, she was smart enough to 
do this and come up with a cover and like she understands what's going on so I'm just I, I I'm not gonna do anything because she'll be okay basically yeah I, I guess I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna roll with it I'm gonna roll with it I mean she was 14 so like maybe not an amazing father decision but if she'd been know, a couple years it. older it would have been cool <laughs> but either way I was still I still liked it because she was very That's mature true. yes I agree um, I also liked this one, I guess in comparison to the first part, I thought I thought the um, the sort of second foundation plot was more interesting. But the first one was pretty good, but the reveal at the end, because I knew, again, from reading the fourth book before the third, that the second foundation had tricked the first foundation. So that's sort of the one thing that I really wish I had gotten to experience without the... Uh, Having like that the knowledge suspense of, of not being sure if the second foundation was going to survive. Yeah. Or just having that moment of being like, did they really just destroy the second foundation? Like, Oh God, <laughs> we're screwed. But Oh shit. Oh shit. Um, no, but I think that it was, it was really a good switch up for them to be like, okay, Oh my God. Like, where did that idea come from? Arcady? Like freaking out about it. And then scanning your brain and be like, Oh, this is amazing. Like you were right. We're all safe. And then it's revealed that they implanted that idea. Like when she was a fucking infant on Trantor, like that's just very satisfying oh to me. Yeah. That's probably my favorite part in this book. I mean, it's amazing. And you know, it shows, we talked about it earlier though, like the fact that the second foundation is really fucking good at planning. They're very schemey. They're very, very schemy. <laughs> That's and why so, they're probably gonna win this whole thing. I mean, yeah, they're like they're gonna end up in charge. Peter, do, do, you've read all the Foundation books, right, or at least most of them? I have read everyone that Asimov wrote, and like two of them that the other guys wrote. Do we get to the Second Empire? I don't know the answer to that question. So you haven't yet. I have not. In your no. personal progression. Oh God, That's so frustrating. No. Yeah, wouldn't that suck if you didn't? Uh, yeah, it would. It's like, it's like, like Game of Thrones like if the TV show had never happened. <laughs> to yeah, finish the TV th- Even the TV show, like, well ahead. Oh, yeah. The TV show's about to end. And theoretically, George R. R. Martin's supposed to write two more books. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so annoying. This is very annoying. <laughs> like, he just straight up sold out to doing the TV show. Good thing the TV show was good. Yeah, imagine if he did that for a crappy TV show. No, really not worth it. People would be rioting in the streets. Yeah, I'm low-key, also high-key worried that that's going to happen with Rathvis, but um, it's fine. He only has to write one more book. George R. R. Martin was supposed to write yeah. two. Exactly. I, uh, and Rothfuss is working on it, is my understanding. He is. Just, I think he's trying to get it right. And Rothfuss is nothing but a perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah, which is he, why his books his are book, so fucking amazing. His books are phenomenal and i've literally never had a complaint yeah pretty much god we need to start a rothfuss fan cast all right um <laughs> how would that even work <laughs> i don't care it's just like whenever something new happens we'll release an episode yeah like every time <laughs> every every it's like 14 it's like the macroys will be on trolls macroys will be in trolls too <laughs> yeah it's like that <laughs> wait trolls world, to- world tour now excuse me yeah please cc please and they're, like, God. in the cast, so it matters. Anyway. Well, sort of. Uh, <laughs> for now. Um, anyway, back to our podcast and our subject matter. I really liked Preem Palvert and his wife. Again, I knew that they were second foundation, but I liked them anyway. 
Uh, yes. Do you think the second yes. foundation is villains in this book? Like, are they the villains? Mm, no. I think if you had to pick an overarching villain, the villain is the nature of man. Oh. And that's some great, like, late 20th century sci-fi shit right there. Uh, like, that's some shit they would do. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, isn't the whole point is that psychohistory is just bending the nature of man to the will of Harry Seldon and the Second Foundation? Mm, Doesn't no. that kind of make the Second Foundation seem like the villains? You know what? No. Because Harry Seldon is... See, think about what they're working against. What's the ultimate fear? Harry Seldon Chaos. predicted that without intervention... It would take 20,000 years for the new Galactic Empire to form. Mm-hmm. And it would just essentially be the same way it has throughout history, and the same way I'm sure the first one was formed. One local government would get real powerful. They'd have like some sort of despot take charge one year mm-hmm. in the elections or whatever. And then he would grow the military, take over little regional polities, and rather quickly envelop the galaxy. Typical military conquest stuff. Yeah, exactly. The, the early days of Foundation after they gained their religious and economic power. Mm-hmm. So. Oh my god, I forgot they used to be worshipped. Yeah, remember? That was crazy. They had like a priesthood. They had like the science priesthood. Yeah, that was some fucking shit. That was dark. <laughs> imagine everyone else being like, like finding out that the Foundation was like manipulating them through religion. Like imagine it being those like nearby um, little polities there that are like, like the basically states like right. that are chilling there like wait wait hold up you did what now oh that was a lie just oh that just a straight oh, that up was a lie? Big lie oh, oh no you mean that wasn't like any truth like we were like all like that's probably not true but like we never like that that was just a lie you made up huh no i guess fuck you then huh what was that a, a drunken night hanging out in the drawing room or something <laughs> yeah anyway so you you see that that's what would normally happen mm-hmm. if mankind's nature had been allowed to go its natural progression right Harry Seldon's second foundation and, you know, all the rest are trying to fight against that slow, stagnant nature of mankind that requires a complete de-evolution, basically, on, on a galactic scale. Unless, and if the foundation hadn't been held together, mankind would have lost nuclear power. That's true. Mankind the, did that, lose nuclear power in a lot yeah, of the galaxy. the rest of mankind did. Foundation didn't, and that's why they were so envied. Right. Right? So, because everyone was like, yes, nuclear generator is fine. It'll just produce power and that was an accepted fact and no one was checking on them and no one was fixing them that's what happened on trantor yeah so there was been a you know a loss of all knowledge and that's that's the 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 nature that the foundations are trying to fight against mm-hmm. i think the reason why you might be feeling that the second foundation maybe is the villain in the end is that well they're not like they're not perfect and we've talked about that a lot. Like, right. the First Foundation is not this perfect society. It's just a pretty good job considering ma- mankind, like, considering what we are. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. So, I, so that, that's my argument on that. I think it's because... I think maybe I feel this way because in 2019, nobody's writing that story where the people pulling all the strings are doing it for the best interests of mankind. Yeah, and they actually are. They're not just saying that they are. Yeah, they genuinely are looking out for people and doing the best they can and making choices to, like, better humanity. That that 
I guess story has died. Like nobody nobody talks about that anymore. So maybe I'm just experiencing a bit of culture shock going back into this old sci-fi where there's this genuine hopefulness and faith that the people who have superior mind and superior resources will use them for good and will actually guide humanity to a brighter future. Yeah, you're absolutely dead on. And yeah, you're right. That's a story we don't see told anymore. The people doing that are the people that are doing it for nefarious purposes. You think your 1984s, yeah. you know, that that are the the darkness. So the 1940 fair is in the 80s. Right? It was a, it was a 60s? When was that right? Not the 80s. <laughs> Not the 80s. I I said that because in 84 was stuck. Yes. Right, fresh off my tongue. It's okay. It was like the 60s. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, that idea is very prevalent. And when you think of what defined modern sci-fi, it's more 1984 than it is Foundation. Yeah, that's true. Even though Foundation is considered like this, not, you know, pardon the pun, but foundational series of sci-fi. It absolutely is. And it's the the universe that Isaac Asimov built. <laughs> like, if there's one recognizable name in science fiction to nerds and lay alike it's isaac asimov yeah people know who that is exactly probably like the first actually really famous sci-fi writer that's true him and orwell probably yeah him and orwell probably like either fought or like were best buds i can only hope best buds in my mind they're I, best buds I, i'm not gonna look it up <laughs> i'm not gonna look up their their famous shouting matches on the white house lawn or whatever <laughs> exactly Oh, man. Oh, my God. All right. So um, what else about the uh, the second part? Um, I thought it was very clever that they were talking about... Um, I liked when they were talking about like how they were trying to figure out uh, Harry Selton's words. Like, it lies at the other side of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And I love every time this comes up. Everyone's like, I've got it. I've <laughs> figured it out. I've cracked the code. <laughs> And everyone's like, yeah, sure, but everyone rolls their eyes. Yeah, we see three different versions of that in this book. Yeah, in this book alone. I love it. Yeah. I love that, um... I love, uh... What's her name? Akadi. Akadi. I wish she's like, a circle has no end. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, she cracked it. Oh, look at this wise teen. Well, because she, in, in fairness, her logic was spot on. Yeah. Like... If the galaxy had been a circle, she would have been right. <laughs> Yeah, the galaxy had been a perfect circle, but, you know, it's roughly. Like, you know, okay, oval, okay, it's fine, CC, but, like, ovals have ends, too. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But or have no end. Anyway, I feel like, um, well, never mind. I'm not going to talk about ovals. We're not even going to get see, into ovals. We don't have time for ovals, Peter. <laughs> no, we don't have time for your CC's famous oval talk. <laughs> That's next week. <laughs> oh, yeah, releasing a bonus, a bonus ovals. oval episode. I almost want to do it. <laughs> One day, maybe. Oh, God. But anyway, so, like, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, fair enough. That logic does and make sense. I almost would rather that the Second Foundation was, like, this secret subgroup of the Foundation. I know. It's a really cool thought. Yeah, I'm like, oh, they're just right so there. Cool. Yeah, they were, like, hiding there the whole time, hoping that the First Foundation... Honestly, if they, if they had been, though, the First Foundation wouldn't have gotten close to finding them. Yeah, that's true. Like they they, they could have done it. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they. Oh, let's for sure, for sure, be clear. Second Foundation couldn't wreck First Foundation's day. 
Second Foundation is very unsentimental, though. They were like, yeah, we just sacrificed 50 men. Not that that's something that people don't they, do during wartime, but... No, they brought it up a lot. They were like, yeah, like this... I mean, it was like, yes, we did this. They were matter-of-fact about it, but, like... I don't think they were ever, like... They ever threw the comment out there. That's true. They weren't really nonchalant about it, but they were, like... Yeah. Willing to do it, I guess is my point. I think it's in the next book that they talk... That, um... One of the, the protagonists talks about, like, the great sacrifice those 50 made. Yeah. It is nice like, to see them remembered. Yeah, and they, like, couldn't alter their memories in any way. Like, they couldn't do that. They had to withstand whatever the First Foundation did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what the First Foundation's position on enhanced interrogation is. But, like, anything they did, the 50 had to be able to withstand and still not change their story. Or the whole plan would have been wasted. Neural probes, right? I, I don't feel like they uh, haven't yeah. gotten into very much detail about what they do, but they people don't like them. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like the word probe, and I definitely don't <laughs> like with the word neural. So I don't give a fuck what it does. I super don't like bad. those two together. Yeah, like, I'm not a fan of, like, I don't think neural's fine, like, whatever. <laughs> but definitely not probe, and definitely not, definitely not, definitely not the combination. <laughs> I definitely agree. And that's problematic. But, yeah. No, and then the sort of dual logic in the end of a spiral you know has arms and the first foundation is at the edge of one arm so the second foundation would have to be at the other end of that arm makes perfect sense plus the idea of harry selden as a social scientist so the idea would be that it was defined like as a social thing and not as a physical realm thing no you're right it's like when was the the other peak the other end of society from the, the new empire. Well, of course, it was the old empire. Right. I mean... Yep, that makes sense. To be honest, though, on that route, I feel like I would take it further and say Earth, but we don't know where Earth is still, so they couldn't. Well, Trevise tries to. Trevise tries. Yeah, Trevise is like, I think Earth is where it's at. Like, not necessarily the Second Foundation, but like, he thinks, like, something's important there, and he tries to go find it. Yeah. But he doesn't do it. Yeah, um, true. So I think that, that wraps us up for the second foundation. Cece, do you have any comments you want to drop on Foundation's Edge that maybe we didn't talk about last time we did it? I realize it's been a while, but like, did you have any moments afterwards where you're like, ooh? Um, I don't think I had any specific things that I wanted to bring up other than just that I liked it a lot more than the first trilogy. But, um... <laughs> Yes, yes, CZ This and, is discussed um, at length in our episode on He Goes There. Yeah, so we did uh, Hugh Goes There. It's a podcast that uh, Seth Heasley, right? And Seasley? Heasley, yes. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Oof, oof. Um, so the podcast uh, Seth Heasley <laughs> does on where he goes through the um, the Hugo Award winners. So you'll see actually a lot of common books there with us. Yeah. Um, but we, we talked about Foundation's Edge at length with him, and we really don't think it's worthwhile for us to dive back into it. Especially because now it's been like three, four weeks since we read it. We're not exactly fresh on it. No, no, no. But I will say that, Cece, if, you, if you've been lukewarm about the maybe the first pair of books we did, and maybe you've read the third one because we were like, read it. Because um, we made you. Because we made you. We did. We came to your house. We hold your your least favorite weapon to you <laughs> and said, uh, read this book. We brought our neural probe. We brought our neural probe. We said, you're going to read this book. And then you'll be like, you drooled a little bit. And then we just left a book in front of you and assumed we'd read it, you'd read it. Um, <laughs> and if you so, hated yeah. that, that doesn't well, the, mean well, that you'll hate Foundation's Edge. <laughs> that was a ter- that was real bad, CC. I got to say, that was a real stinker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, sorry. You try. 
<laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you do better then. But if you if you just like the first two books because maybe they're a little too world heavy or maybe they were a little you know they weren't very narrative uh, narratively pleasing pleasing Oof. pleasing um, pleasing you know how things are pleasing agent pleasing oh my god I hate you all right um, <laughs> I'm glad so you if you thought that way the I I'm I'll tell you now um, these two books much better in that way the third one is the second foundation a little bit. Um, but Foundation's Edge is definitely a narrative tale of, you know, this epic hero traveling, trying to find his way. Two epic heroes. And I'm sure you... What? Yeah, I mean two epic heroes, sure, sure I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, sure. you actually have, like, people you follow the whole book and who you care about, so. And of course we're saying that and you've already read it. Yes, um, obviously. Although I will, I will say the, um, the fifth book, uh, which is Foundation and Earth, very good it's very good it's way more narrative it ties together some of the hinted histories that goes into like the history of human colonization in this universe mm-hmm. which is it's just it's i cannot recommend foundation and earth is easily my favorite foundation book well we'll have and, to do an episode on it one of these days uh yes we will going about this right maybe another like seven months or eight months <laughs> so buckle up kids so oh, start that so, now um, I guess let's wrap it. This is a little bit of a shorter episode, but we've been promising those for a while and we never really deliver. Well, let's make sure we keep our uh, wrap up quick then. <laughs> Follow through on that pledge. That sounds good. So for our next book, we're doing a splashy summer hit. <laughs> oh my God, I hate you. All right, I'm finishing this. We're doing another Michael Crichton book. You know him. You love him. You want some more of him. <laughs> <laughs> so we're oh my god we're doing sphere all right so okay we're doing more sphere spooky than splashy it's kind of splashy it's it's like it's underwater <laughs> really, i don't think they're ever in the water that's not true peter they get in the water they're in suits in the water but they're still in the water all right there is enough. definitely some splashing all right fine anyway so that's i could tell you out. more but it would be a spoiler Ooh, ooh. ooh. Sphere is really good, guys. Juicy. It's spooky. So yeah, don't read it at night. Keep your blankies like, yeah, near. I'm gonna be honest. I am not playing it. Under, I'm gonna read it <laughs> like in the summer sun by the pool. But like and that's the only time not scary to read it. Peter and I don't like getting scared, but we both really, really love Sphere. So don't yeah, let that scare damn, you off. It's so it's so good. Yeah, Cece and I are like real scaredy cats. We're little bitches. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, we're just t- all right. Fine. I mean, I was gonna say that, but I guess you're gonna say that. <laughs> You're another kind of bitch, too, Cece. Oh, mm. well, that's fine. I know. Um, All right, so that's going to come out on June 3rd. Yes. June 3rd, All right, guys. Um, so thank you so, so much for listening and so much for your patience. This week has been kind uh, of a vicious yes. show. It's, it's been a rough week. Uh, we will be on time for the next one. We will. We will. We swear. God, man, like, I don't want to, like, swear anything too big. Um, <laughs> swear on um my water bottle that's new and I love it. <laughs> Oh my god. It's one of those All nice right. ones with a flippy tap. So. Is it, oh my god. Is it, oh, what's easy? Is it vacuum sealed? Uh, <laughs> oh my god. That's a, I wouldn't be god, swearing on promise. it if it wasn't. All right. Fair point. Okay. <laughs> so we, you can find us online. If you uh, care to know more about us at uh, facebook.com forward slash sci-fi sidebar. Uh, we also have a Twitter account, which is at sig nothing net. Or you can just search Signifying Nothing Network on Twitter. 
And if you guys wouldn't mind giving us a review on iTunes so we can uh, help new listeners find us, that would be terrific. Yeah, share us with your friends, share us on social media. Um, or if you're too embarrassed, you know what? We totally understand. <laughs> we it are. It took us like six months to share this online. <laughs> like for us to be willing to share it in a place our family and friends could look at. Our peers who we want to respect us. Hey, Cece, you know what I found today? What'd you find? Literally none of our siblings listen to our podcast. Oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> I assumed at least, like, maybe Xavier here, like, listened to an occasional one. Yeah. Nope. No. None of them. We have four siblings and none of those fuckers listen to our podcast. <laughs> so here's where we can say that they're all assholes and they'll never tell us. Don't be like our siblings. They'll never find out. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> Don't be like our siblings. Share with others. <laughs> be proud of our craft. <laughs> Crap is such a oh strong word. Anyway, we love you guys. Thank you for your patience and your listening and your company and your. Oh yeah, guys! Views. The good news is we we have credit for our podcast host for like four years. Yeah, whoever started podcast, <laughs> hit us up. We'll retweet you on our Twitter. Our really, <laughs> our really Twitter. prolific Twitter. Um, we will talk about it on our podcast, which is slightly more prolific. That's too. It's at least a couple um, times more reach. I, yeah, I mean, it's an order of magnitude. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just the magnitude is like 100. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. This is it. Our bullshit's over. You're free. Under an hour, Go guys. Go on and do things that are useful. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. <laughs> Clearly a tale told by idiots. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys.